0: We've got a very special guest. Uh, just the mere fact of making it to 102, Gladys uh, Macuri is uh, is with us. Uh, she is a holistic uh, doctor, medicine doctor, um, and 102. That's that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm odd, too. <laughs> I think it's well, amazing too.
0: I I, I I I hope I can be as lucky
1: uh,
0: <laughs> as you are, but it, but again, I shouldn't say lucky you've done a lot of things to make sure that you, you've made it to 102. I'm sure you've led a very good life, a very bright life. And in fact, you've got a, uh, a new book, which I love the, uh, the title. Uh, it, I just had it in front of me, a life lived well.
1: Yep. Uh, that means a lot of persons who is reading it is a yes. life
0: lived well, a life lived well, which is our, is everyone's pursuit. So, I've got to start with. What are those sort of foundational habits, those routines you've you've held for uh, now, decades?
1: Yeah. Well, they've they've changed and they've grown and gotten deeper and better understood and so on. But it's a, the reality of being aware that I'm alive and that I have here. I I have work to do. I have something that I that's needed. The, uh, you know, it's kind of like a big jigsaw puzzle, and uh, every piece is important in that jigsaw puzzle. If you lose one, if you have a thousand piece puzzle and you lose one piece, you drive yourself crazy. You know, it's it's the importance of each one of us as individual completing the whole, each one of us being necessary in order to make the picture uh, what it needs to be.
0: So true. So true. And within your book, you focus on a, uh, about six core principles, and I'm just going to review them and I want to dive into this. Spend your energy widely, wildly. uh Basically, all life needs to move, which we're, we're big on. We just had uh, Kelly Starrett, Dr. Kelly Starrett, who wrote a book called Built to Move. Uh, you're here for a reason, how to find the everyday sort of juice in your life. You're never alone. Everything is your teacher. And lastly, the one I love, love is the most powerful uh, medicine. Uh, the, the, the first of those, spend your energy wildly. I think as a, uh, and and I'll I'll call myself a young buck. Tell me what you mean by that.
1: (laughs) Well, energy has to move. If energy doesn't move, it dies, you know? So you've got to keep moving. But just the process of movement is something. It's it's, uh, being, if we can be aware that everything that, Every moment of our lives, everything that we are is in motion. I mean, you know, our blood circulates, our we breathe, we listen. We, movement is constant. So if we think we're stuck someplace, it's a good idea to find out where it is that you're moving. If, and And then work with that aspect. And if you can't find it, wiggle your toes, wiggle your ears, do something doodle on a piece of paper, but get yourself moving so that you understand that your life depends on being, move, being movable.
0: And, and I know within the book, you talk about even the need to move through pain.
1: Oh, yeah. I I, you know, I think medically, we have done a disservice to the world by thinking that what our job is is to get rid of diseases and to get rid of pain. I. It's not that I recommend pain, it's that we all have it. They're all We all have times when we've been in pain. I've had uh, people after t- telling me their st- story say to me, well, you would never understand because you've always had it so easy. It always seems to us that other people have it easier than we have it. <laughs> and it's, it's not necessarily so. You know, it's that reality that pain is something. It's, it's our body or our mind or our spirit, wherever the pain is, that's telling us there's something here that needs fixed. But it doesn't need to be destroyed by getting rid of it. And conventional medicine has focused so much on getting rid of pain or just plain getting over it that we think it's a horrible thing. Well, it's not a horrible thing. It's a wake-up call. It's something that's trying to tell us that there's something here that we need to pay attention to.
0: Are are you grateful for the pain you've had in your life?
1: Well, yes, because it has opened up ways in which to look at life and work with things that I never would have thought about. Because in the process of getting rid of the pain, I've opened doors and opened aspects of myself that I never would have understood.
0: You you know, there's in, I'm sure you laugh at the advent of social media and you bring up a point of, we, we compare our lives more and more to those that we now see on social media thinking, Oh, they have it so great when they are suffering just as much as anyone. They just choose to show you what they want to show you. Um, I, I have found that everything great. In my life, the things that were worth earning were hard. Yeah. And were extremely painful. But yeah. from that, the greatest lessons emerged. And in suffering is not all bad. But again, I, I can I can understand for a parent who lost a child, that pain is irreplaceable. Uh, or or no, I shouldn't say irreplaceable, but that is uh a pain that never goes away. So I don't. I do understand you can sort of nuance pain and suffering.
1: Oh yeah, you sure can. But you know, I my oldest daughter, amazing, amazing person, died of uh, breast cancer when she was fifty eight. Now, you know, um, what I have learned from her is that her life is still present in my life mm. it's so rich she uh i enjoyed her so much and um she was uh, you know if i want to really uh, be happy sometimes i think about her it's it's the uh reality of who she was when she lived and who she still is in my life I mean, nobody can can take that away from me. Nobody can take my memories of what we did together. Uh, Nobody can take away the memory of when she was three years old and she was trying to tie her shoelaces and uh, she was having trouble and I went over to help her and she wagged her ponytail and stomped her foot and she said no. I'd rather do it my own self. So I says, okay. And I backed off and she worked at it and worked at it. And finally she stopped and she put her head back and she said, if you ever help me, help me now. (laughs) (laughs) Now nobody can take those kind of memories away from me. It's because her life impacted my life. And I choose to understand that it's still a living process.
0: You know what, Gladys, no one has ever described that the way you just did to me. Because I know f- for a lot of my peers who still suffer from survivor's guilt from the war,
1: yeah, no one oh, ever yeah. said,
0: hey, you've got to see it through a different lens. The life of your brother or sister-in-arms is still present in your life, and your job is to live for them now.
1: Yeah, it is. And it's such a joy, you know. It's not... It's not, well, I got to do this. <laughs> it's, oh, man. I enjoy it so much.
0: You've uh, made some substantial contributions to holistic medicine. In, in one of the chapters you talk about, everything is your teacher. Uh-huh. I would love to hear some of the lessons that others may consider just a hard time from which they didn't learn anything and how you, you view suffering in bad times as as a teacher, as a mentor, as a coach?
1: Well, you know, when I started school, I be- became the class dummy. I, was, I found out, I didn't know what it was, that I was dyslexic, but I couldn't read and I couldn't write. And so for two years, I was the, the one they picked on. The teacher told me the stupid one and all of that and that that was a, a wound that I carried for until I was ninety three It was something that um i i was i had written books i had made done talks i had done this i but I kept having to validate what I said by having someone else. Like I'd have my husband read my book and say, you know, this is that. Way. It 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 was something that that I the injury was so deep that I actually thought that my voice didn't have the 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 strength that I wanted it to have. And so I've learned that my dreams are very very helpful in helping me get get pace, past places where I'm stuck. So I had a dream when I was 93. And in this dream, I woke up and it was a Sunday morning and I knew it was a Sunday morning. And in our family, when I was a child, um, we were not allowed to sing anything but hymns or bhajans because we were in Northern India and all of that. And so, but on Sunday mornings, That's what we were supposed to sing. And I thought it was a stupid rule. And I was nine years old in the dream. And I was going to prove I I needed to sing. So I uh, saw myself in the dream as nine-year-old Gladys pulling back the flap of the tent and looking out, making sure my brother wasn't there because he would tattle on me and I'd be in trouble. So he wasn't there. So I ran as fast as I could to the mango tree, climbed up clear to the top, and I'm sitting at the top of the tree and I'm singing, I'm singing any old thing I wanted to sing, the caterpillar song or whatever. And every so often, I'd look over my shoulder, and I Jesus was up in the tree with me, and he was laughing. And so I look over my shoulder and I say, Oh. Jesus loves the little children, right? And he says yes, and he goes, I go back to my singing, and he goes back to his laughing. And then I get to thinking, did he really say that? And I look back, and I say, I'm still a little children, right? And he said yes, so we, we go back, he's laughing, and I'm singing. And I woke up singing and laughing and realizing Criminy, if Jesus says my voice is okay, I'd better accept it. And so from then on I stopped this silly business of having to validate what I had said by having someone else say, Yeah, well, or maybe it would be better to say, you know, that sort of thing. So for the first time I realized that in all those years in the For other people, my voice was being heard, but I myself wasn't hearing it. And I was, therefore, I was denying it. So if I continued to deny the very thing that I'm saying, this is kind of a mixed up place. But it took me a long time. So... (laughs) It's it's worth keeping on, keeping on because if you find yourself stuck someplace, just don't give up. It's not worth giving up.
0: No, it's not, and you're a living testament to that. I do love the uh, the notion uh, within one of your chapters. You are here for a reason. Now, I think people, and I'd be interested, people are struggling with this nowadays in comparison to probably your younger years, the 40s, 50s, 60s. But people are, are are having trouble finding their sense of purpose. What are some of the steps you've taken to identify your purpose in life? And let me ask you, has it changed over life?
1: Not really. When I was two, I said I was a doctor. My dolls, uh, my sister wouldn't let her, me play with her dolls because something was sick, you know, they had, to, I had to fix them, but I, and I let my parents know, my parents were both physicians and I let my parents know that I was a doctor too. So, it and I have grand, great grandchildren who say the same thing. I, I, you know, there's some families who are teachers. There's some that are uh, singers. There's some that are painters. I, our family is, is a medical family. So, sometimes you come into a family where you uh know that you really like this stuff and and so that it's clear to you but sometimes you come into a family where nobody has really identified anything so you have the opportunity to look around and see what it is that you really really like to do do you like to Right? Do you like to swim? Do you like to, you know, what is it that just really is your thing? Maybe, maybe you want to be a gardener, you know. Maybe, maybe, who knows? But it's your your job to find out what you want to do. Your parents can help you. Your friends can help you. Your teachers can help you. But you're the one who has to find it. And it may take you a long time, but you don't give up what it is that, that really is, makes that you just love doing. It's, it's a, it makes your heart sing when you're doing it.
0: I, I think the next difficult obstacle for a lot of people is following your purpose, your passion while putting food on the table. Not all purposes are passion. What what have you found between the linkage of, let's let's just say for what it is, money and life. Has has money brought you happiness at all?
1: Not not happiness. <clears throat> no, it's bought me things that I could do, that I could <clears throat> be happy about, go places that I could be happy in, and all. But the money itself is not the... It, it's why I'm doing what I'm doing is really, really based on love. I love doing what I'm doing. I have five L's that I, I think are worth spending time talking about. Um, life, life, love, are two things that have to go together. If if you're not alive, nothing else counts. So you know, but you you can be like a seed in the, in the pyramid for five thousand years. It's there, but it can't do anything until love activates it in the form of of water and and, and attention and so on. And then, the two of them become one. Life and love go together, they have to work together. If we're uh, alive, love has to be part of it. The third L is laughter. Laughter without love is mean, it's cruel, it's hurtful. But laughter with love is joy and happiness. The fourth L is labor. Labor without love is oh man, I, I've got to go to work. There are too many diapers. It's too hard. But labor with love is bliss. It, it's what makes you sing. It's what makes a singer sing. A painter paint. It's 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 there. And the fifth one is is um sound is listening. Listening without love is empty sound. Cagging, dogs, you just don't hear it. But listening with love is understanding. For me, these five L's kind of uh, structure a lot of my life. The understanding is a part where you just, you know, you've done all you could do. You try to explain things to somebody and they don't. They just don't get it. And then either something is said or you say something or they hear a song or they see a tree or they see, you know, something happens and they get it. And it all comes together because they're looking for understanding. If you're not looking for it, you won't see it. You won't get it. You won't understand it. But if you're looking for it, Things will get moved. Part something will pop out of a corner in your house that reminds you, and all of a sudden, oh, I get that. It's it's a a reality of the whole movement of life and love as it moves through our lives, and allows us to accept what it is and figure out what it. Is. Why what it is, is what it is.
0: <laughs> so, so you, you, I mean, you said it in your book, you're a true believer that love is the most powerful medicine.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Can,
0: can, can, give me an example where maybe conventional medicine was going to fall short, but you saw a miracle driven through love.
1: Well, you know, conventional medicine, focuses on getting rid of diseases and getting rid of pain. I mean, those are two things we were taught a lot about. And I think that the focus is wrong because I have a patient who just died at the age of 79 a month ago. And she lived from the time she was 18 months old with pain, but she lived with one quarter of one kidney. That's not possible. Those of us who worked with her never knew how she did this, but she knew what she had to do to keep herself alive, and she lived with one quarter of one kidney. Now, that's, yeah, those are- miracles. miracle. You could call them miracles, but it was her taking one step at a time, understanding what that step said, Going on further, and if some if she did something that didn't work right for her, she didn't do it again. No matter which physician told her that was what she needed to do, she just didn't do it again. She absolutely understood her the reality of the physician within her that was saying, No, that's not any good. You know, my oldest son is an orthopedic surgeon, retired. Mm -hmm. Did I tell this story? No. So when he was, um, he came through Phoenix to go to Del Rio, Texas, where he was going to start his practice in in, uh, orthopedics. And he said to me, Bob, I'm real scared. I'm going to go into the world. I'm going to have people's lives in my hand. I don't know if I can handle that. And I said to him, well, Carl, if you think you're the one who does the healing, you have a right to be scared. Because you are trained to do orthopedic surgery, which is awesome. I mean, if you've got something that needs that kind of work done, you better get a good orthopod to do it because mm. it can get podged up. But your job is to do the best job that you've done." Been trained to do, and then support the physician within that patient who is the one that does the healing. That's your colleague. You then have a person within that patient that is the one who actually takes what you've done with your knowledge and wisdom and all and makes it real. And now they take it and make it real.
0: Amazing, Uh, amazing perspective. You know, you you touch on one of the subjects that is dear to my heart. You refer to it as community. I, I, I call it a tribe. You've talked about, you know, you're never alone. Yeah. And especially in this day and age where, let's just say the nuclear family is not as defined as it was again, back in the, uh, back in your times. Um, how have you seen the power of community lift people up
1: i think it's essential we have to really know that our neighbors are our neighbors and uh that the, maybe not you know it's it's um i have theory that uh one of the reasons that these young men in our country, are shooting each other in the in the classroom mm. is because they have really not experienced number one death or love. In other words, if they've watched TV and all, and you had a a, a hero who died, the next day he's back, and the next day he's back, and and actually you can not even see yourself as, you don't know any, if you have never experienced a pet or a person or somebody that you loved die, how would you know about death? It It's it's a, a thing that happens on TV and you don't think it's, it's real. And yeah. I think that possibly these young, and it's mostly young men, have not experienced love either, because if you are in a situation where uh, love isn't apparent, then it's it's like trying to teach a bl- a man who is born blind what the color green is. You know, there's some things. If you haven't experienced it, you really don't know what it is so if you have that kind of a damaged place that you're coming from you you you're in a really tough spot but i think that if we could put dogs guardian dogs yeah. into a classroom and have the ch- the children in that classroom uh experience what that dog can do when they're feeling badly or when they and you know, I just think that we could, instead of putting uh, guns in the teachers' hands, put guardian dogs in the classroom. Come here, come on, up, come here. I, I just
0: want to introduce this guy. Come here, bud. come here. Oh, if you can see him.
1: Oh
0: <laughs> So this is Bane. This is my guardian dog. Yeah. Um, actually helped me through very hard times and has been there and. You know, I love the fact that dogs are the most loyal creature. Oh. There is – they just ask for a little food, a little attention, and uh, it's amazing the bond that they form with human they beings. Know, it's-
1: they know when the person is hurting. And so in a classroom, they would know a kid who doesn't know love, and they would practice love, the dog would. And if a child is afraid of the dog, the dog won't come near them until the that child reaches out for the dog.
0: I'm trying to remember who it was. I think it was uh Bill Murray who said uh and, and I'm gonna butcher this. It's amazing uh, uh gosh darn it. The power the basically uh the the, the loyalty of a dog and also their ability to uh, actually predict character in human beings right. if a dog is kind to you it means you're a good human being if the dog is fearful to approach you sometimes it may, may means you may be lacking as uh as an individual as a human or in character,
1: yeah, so it but you know let's do something with love instead of trying to kill it, you know,
0: yeah well. You know, Gladys, um, you've lived through happiness. You've lived through uh, heartbreak. Mm-hmm. You've lived through many incidents in this country that that have led us to where we're at. You've seen the evolution of mankind from the twenties to the the again the advent of social media, and uh, you know us going to the moon. You must get the question a lot of times where somebody comes to you and says, "Hey, what are your what's your understanding or how do I achieve health, happiness and ensure that I live a life well?" What what are the things you you the, the quick response that you give to to people that ask that question?
1: Look for it. Because if you don't look for it, you'll never find it. But if you're looking for health and happiness, it's there it just needs to be found,
0: and I'm assuming the more love you put into the world will oh, result in a more fulfilling purpose driven life
1: absolutely looks what if you're looking for love, look for it, it's there because it's <laughs> because you're showing it and you're reaching for it, and you're creating it, and so yeah. It's absolute.
0: Well, Gladys, you are a inspiration. Thank the you. The fact that you wrote a book uh, at this age, uh, which first off, I, I've got to respect for the fact that you're putting out all the lessons you've learned to all of us for our benefit. Thank you so much. And uh, when you write the next book, we will have you on again.
1: All right. It's my joy. Thank you.
0: Thank you. All right, Gladys, yes. be well.
1: Bye-bye.